And welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, number 12. I'm Tim Robertson, and I've got David Cohen here this week. Hello, David. Hello, how are you? I am doing really well. How are you? Not too bad. So it's Looking forward to talking some stuff. Smacking it down. It's just the two of us. Guy Sherrill had a, uh, I believe it's a high school reunion, and yeah. uh, he had to go to Florida for that, so he's obviously not going to be here this week. For those listening, if you don't already know, we do another podcast called the MyMac.com podcast. Be sure to subscribe to that in iTunes. But on this show, we talk about all geeky things. And last week, David, we talked pretty extensively about Harry Potter. I really enjoyed talking about Harry Potter. It made me want to go back and read the books, although I didn't. Um, It's one of those things that, and I can't believe it was just a couple weeks ago that we went and saw the movie. It seems longer somehow. I know. I know, a lot going on at the moment, but it's, it's it's interesting, you know, just looking at the response on the internet, it does look like, it seemed, does seem to be the movie's been pretty positively received all over. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and a lot of people are saying they're really looking forward to the next next installment. So, um, you know, it looks like they've got quite a good hit there. I've, I've enjoyed every one of the Harry Potter movies so far. Um, I haven't, I, I, I own DVDs, but honestly, at this point, I'm going to hold out buying any more Harry Potter movies, and then I'm just going to buy all of them in Blu-ray format, just, you know, the whole yeah. complete series. I think that'd be kind of cool to have. That'd be very good, you know, uh, just dip into whichever one you fancied whenever you feel like it. Another thing on Blu-ray that uh, I'm kind of torn about, uh, we did our Watchmen show, obviously, and this week, the Watchmen DVD came out as well on Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray DVD, or Blu-ray Watchmen, I should say, is that a director's cut adds about 25 minutes to the movie. I really want to watch it. But here's my problem. There's another version of the movie coming out this holiday season, which I guess adds even more stuff to it. So do I go ahead and buy this version, or do I hold out and buy the one this you know, this holiday season. Well, I, I mean, my answer to that would be, if you buy if you buy the version that's available now, will you have time to get the most out of the content before the holiday comes up? Probably, but I'm still going to want to see the other content as well. And I'm pretty sure that what's coming out this holiday is going to include what we just got. Right. Now, that being said, there's also a version out right now that has the two PS3 video games included on it as well. Now, those were $30 downloadable games. I, they've got really bad reviews, but I actually played a demo of one and kind of enjoyed it. It's just a beat em up push-the-button, you know, beat-up-the-bad-guy kind of thing, but I really like the environment. It really did feel like Watchmen. Um, you could be Rorschach or uh, Night Owl. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. It takes place yeah. in the 70s rather than when the movie takes place. Right, it's like a pretty cool game. Yeah, exactly. And there's yeah. two of them, actually. And mm-hmm. they're $30 games each. So that's $60 right there, where you can buy this special edition, The End is Nigh. And it gives you both of those games, plus the director's cut of the movie, for 50 bucks. So I'm like, that's a really good deal there, too. Yeah, it's not bad. So, I don't know, I'm torn. I, I hate... I don't watch Blu-ray as much as I would enjoy, because I don't have too much on Blu-ray. You know, I use my Apple TV to watch, you know, most of my pre-recorded stuff or what I have on DVR. So, you know, I don't I don't listen to or watch Blu-ray very often. But when I do, I want it to be something special. And I think Watchmen is definitely going to be falling into that category. 
Well, it's, it's certainly, you know, just like the comic book, it's certainly a movie that I would want to watch again uh, and, you know, it's like to be able to watch at home so you can kind of pause it and get some of the nuance and some of the stuff that's going on in the background that obviously you can't see in the, in the movie theatre. So it is, it's definitely something that I would like to, to have at home. Um, the thing for me is I, I, I don't have a Blu-ray player. Any, um, uh, is, are you interested in getting Blu-ray at all or is that something that's just not really there not, for you? Not really. We, we don't... You know the only the only movies we we buy often on disc are uh, for the kids, um, and it doesn't make you know, any difference or any sense to get it on Blu-ray. Well, the only thing with the with the Watchmen is that the uh, what I am interested in is the um, certainly on the I don't know whether the DVD has this, but I know on the Blu-ray disc they have this um, um, special. Uh, director's commentary, which isn't... It, it's not really like a comment... It, they have a commentary, like, during the movie, which you can hear Zack Snyder talk over the movie as as you watch it. But he also does kind of like a documentary where um, the movie's playing over his shoulder in the background, and he's actually talking about the making of the movie and some of the choices they made and something, and that's something that really interests me. Me too. Um, and I don't know whether it's on the DVD or whether it's only on the Blu-ray. But, you know, is that... Is that feature enough to make me go out and buy a Blu-ray player so I can watch that? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not for me either. But I have a Blu-ray player that in the PS3. So yeah. Um, but again, I don't. I don't use it enough to. If I didn't have the PS3, I probably wouldn't go out and get a Blu-ray. No. Let me put it that way. And and it's frustrating, uh, you know. And I don't want to talk about it in case that feature is on the DVD or on a version of the DVD. No, I don't event. believe it is. I think that's only uh, only on the Blu-ray version. But it, it's it's um, frustrating that the the studios decide to add those extra things. I mean, there's no reason they couldn't put that on a DVD version. Um, it's, just, it's just about driving traffic to the Blu-ray. Well, I don't blame them for that. I mean, number one, the way they did it is going to take a lot of space, and I think that is a concern on a regular DVD. Um, but that being well, said, I don't know. We could put an extra disc in. I mean, maybe the stuff that come out in the holiday season will have, uh, you know, maybe you ought to be able to get a, a full DVD extender set with everything on. I don't know. Speaking of uh, Blu-ray and uh, movies that I owned and had to buy new copies of, uh, when The Lord of the Rings first came out, the first DVDs were the theatrical cuts. And then later, they came out with the extended versions. Now, I love The Lord of the Ring movies. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, me too. And so I actually gave the, the standard... Um, theatrical cuts to my mother on DVD, and I went out and bought all three boxes for you know the extended, longer, multi-disc versions of the movies, and they were much better longer, which is weird yeah. to say when they were like you know three hours to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know it's 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 an event. It's there's not going to be a follow up to this mo- to these movies. There's going to be a Hobbit, but that's kind of different. Um, so I wanted to see the the full length extended cuts. Now, I've ripped those onto my Apple TV so I can watch them at any time, mm. which is very nice to be able to do. That being said, the ones that are on Blu-ray is the theatrical cuts. Now, I hear that, again, this holiday season, they're coming out with the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings series on Blu-ray. And that's interesting to me. Yeah. So, there, yet, there's another one that I'm thinking about buying. Well, you know, this is this is what the studios like to do, is to try and, you know, max them. They would call it maximizing the value out of the content, and you might call it, you know, making you 
buy the same thing over and over again in different formats in, in some ways it's kind of a ripoff. I don't mind uh, buying it if there's a clear value. And seeing the difference between a regular DVD player, even upscaled to 1080i, compared to a Blu-ray disc at 1080p on my 46-inch big screen, there it, there's a big difference in audio quality, in uh, picture quality. I mean, it it really does make a difference. Yeah. Uh, when Chad Perry came over, ex-co-host of the MyMac podcast, for those who don't know who Chad Perry is, I wanted to show off the new TV. So I broke out the Dark Knight on Blu-ray, and just the opening sequence is all I really showed him. And he was blown away. He was like, "I it looks better than it did in the theater, which isn't too hard to do, to be honest. And, uh, you know, it's that it's at that point that I think this is, I love having a Blu-ray disc. I love having the big screen. It's awesome. Plus, I have a really nice sound system to go with it. So, yeah. I, like I said, I don't mind paying a little extra or, as they will put it, double-dipping it in my wallet to get the same content that I already own, if there's a clear value. Yeah. But most movies aren't good enough for me to double-dip. No. In fact, I'm I'm just as happy having it from the iTunes store. Uh, the quality is not as good as even a DVD, I don't think. And But, you know, it, it's just a movie, and I'll watch it once, and that's it. I, I'm not going yeah. to... Uh- we we do that we do that quite often and we and we really enjoy the convenience of being able to do that with an Apple TV uh, and and in terms of the quality the quality is for us when we sit down and watch a movie is good enough and yep. um, you know we rent it we watch it once and then we probably probably don't watch it again so um, that's kind of the way we you know we can see we have we do have DVDs in the house and we do have videos as well that that just sit there taking shelf space up and I just find I don't really have the time to sit down and watch movies like I would as much as I would like I just wish that there were 48 hours in every day yeah uh, and I only had to work for eight of them and then I'd have um, a lot more time to to do some of the things I like to do sleep sleep as well uh, but, but you know I mean that there is I, I I I so rarely get the chance to sit down and and um you know, play my Xbox or, uh, you know, watch movies. I have a stack of movies set on my hard drive waiting to be watched that I've not got around to. I have been there uh, and done that know. many times, yep. In, fa- in fact, I was on a train journey earlier on this evening and, and finally watched the last two episodes of Stargate Atlantis, which is a, a show that I've really enjoyed and really watched. But, you know, that that show actually finished probably about six, seven months ago, and I've only just watched the final two episodes. Um, That's kind of nice, though, when you know you've got that sitting there and it's just waiting for you. Yeah, but, um, you know, it would have been nice to, uh, it would be nice to have a bit more time to do, you know, the more pleasurable things in life. I I mean, on your recommendation, you remember when we talked about Xbox games a a few months back and you said, oh, you've got to try Portal. Yep. And I'd never played it before. I actually managed to um, get half an hour on it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what a fantastic game. Isn't that fantastic? It's so out of the norm. Nothing is really like it out there. But what's so clever about it is that you play the game. There is, there, it doesn't need instructions. You play the game, and the game, as you play it, teaches you how to play it. And it, this is not the con- the concepts in this game are not simple. No, you know, you are li- quite literally bending the laws of physics, uh, and and yet the way the game sort of sucks you in, it needs no exposition, no introduction, and yet, you know, you, but within the first few levels, it's not. It doesn't seem like a tutorial. Yeah, it just uh, you know, and it makes you. It doesn't tell you how to do it. It just kind of 
puts you in an environment where it's obvious how you get to the next level and understand how the you know the next uh, technique you need to learn is. Yeah, but and some so of them it, get a little difficult with with balls bouncing and you got to hit it off a certain thing and it'll explode this and it, it gets it, more difficult as time goes on. Plus, I, the voiceover is just. I know it's 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 quite amazing. It, it, I, I think just as a piece of writing and a piece of concept, as well as a great fun game to play, it's it's absolutely a masterpiece. Come back, and, we uh, have cake for you. <laughs> have you got to that part yet? Yes. When she starts telling yes. you they're going to eat all the cake without you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's, it's uh, great. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, very, very clever, and, and you know, and and this is this is kind of like a throwaway game that was just, you know, bundled in with with the with the big name title. It yeah, really with orange is, uh, box. Yeah, I heard that someone had made a portal like game for the iPhone, and uh, Touch Arcade actually had played a very early build of it. They said there's a lot of flaws in it, but the core gameplay is there. Yeah. And I guess Valve, the company that, that did Portal, saw it. And I guess there's actually some interest in making Portal available for the iPhone. And not the original Portal. It'll be a different game. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I do hope they follow it up with a with a, a full game in the same universe. Oh, I think they're know. going to because, it, number one, it was a critical hit. And number two, the orange box sold really well, and a lot of people who got the orange box got it, uh, not just for Half-Life, because that's a fantastic game in its own right, but because they heard so many good things about Portal. Yeah. So I think it was kind of a sleeper hit in 2007, and I would expect something big coming out of that soon. Uh, speaking of you know televisions and video games and stuff like that, uh, you remember I got the, the new television because my old one was occasionally uh, kind of goofing out on me. Yeah, and it was still working, and it would turn this greenish hue once every couple months or so. But it was enough to get me to think, you know what? It might just be time to get a new television. So I did. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I had my old HD set, which is you know one of the big ones. It was huge, uh, just yeah. sitting here in the computer room in the office, and I was having to step around it all the time. So I finally got that all set up here in the computer room, and I hooked up the Wii. And the PS2 to it. I used to have the Wii out on the big screen. But the problem is we never play the Wii that often. And my daughter always seems to want to play it. So I thought, well, I'll hook this up to the older television in the other room. She can play the Wii at her to her heart's content. And the Wii also plays, um, uh, what is it, Nintendo's um, GameCube. It plays yeah. those games as well. And she has a GameCube in her bedroom. Right. Which she also wants to play all the time, but the bedroom is upstairs, and if there's no one up there, she doesn't want to go up there by herself. You know how six-year-olds are. Yeah. So I have all this hooked up down here now, and she's been glued to this TV for the last three days, wanting to play all these games that, you know, if she had a problem playing a game and she was upstairs, she knows no one's going to come all the way upstairs to help her on a video game. But if she's just, you know, ten feet away you're going to get up and go help her real quick. So she's getting yeah. a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's kind of nice to be able to repurpose this television. And it makes yeah, me cool. actually want to play some Wii games. I've got the new Wii Sports Resort. Have you checked right. it out yet? Uh, no, we've been thinking about buying it, but uh, we, we just bought we bought a couple of 
um, a couple of games for both the Wii and the DS for when my son finished school, and we want to make sure he gets something out of those before um, mm-hmm. before we buy something else. So we'll, we'll probably we'll probably save that for the holidays. The uh, the Wii Sports Resort. I, I know I know people are saying it is really good. I, I haven't really played much of it myself. My daughter played the new bowling, and she said it's just like the old bowling, Dad. And I thought, well, mm. okay, we got the old bowling, but whatever. Uh, but it has a manual mode now, so you can kind of put a little English on the ball when you throw it. I haven't played Nothing. it, so I, that's about as far as I know. The only thing I did play on it was fencing. And uh, that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got into that. My daughter was like, okay, my turn. I'm like, oh, okay, fine, here. But it, it kind of reminds me of what it would have been like had we had a real Star Wars lightsaber game for on, on a video game system. I mean, that's kind of what it is. The, uh, the I, I'm sure I've heard rumours that they've, they've been working on that for some time. Um, so may, maybe this new peripheral is is exactly what you need. I think the, the, one of the problems I have with Wii Sports Resort is that it's bundled with the Motion Plus, which is you know what gives you this extra sensitivity to the Wii Remote. But I presume you only get one in there. Yes. And so you know, really, to get the most out of the game, you're going to need two of them. Yeah, I need four. The, yeah. <laughs> We've only got the one right now, and so the only multiplayer games that we can really play is like bowling, where you take turns. Um, yeah. But you know, it's only twenty five bucks for an extra one, so I'm probably going to go buy at least one extra one here pretty soon, just so we can do you know two player games with with my daughter, or if the kids are asleep, maybe I can tuck my wife into playing it. Um, but it, you know, it's fun. It's it's one of those things that it doesn't cost a lot. The Wii has gone grossly unused in my house because. Most of the games for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 are so far superior in almost every respect that I'm like, oh, what am I going to do on the Wii? More Mario? Ugh, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I want to play Mario occasionally, but not enough to justify the purchase of the Wii, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and remember, I got the Wii the day it came out. I mean, yeah, I was a very early adopter. So, I mean, we, we, we use ours quite a lot. Um, but that's because you know we have we have a six year old and that's kind of what he likes to play. Um, you know, Leanne's not really so much, and she likes to play the, the, the Wii stuff. She's always been a big Nintendo fan, so uh, she enjoys playing Nintendo games. She doesn't like games on the Xbox, um, so the Xbox is tucked away in my office, and uh, it's uh, that's just my thing, really. Um, so uh, you know, and and we well, some of the some of the stuff we have on the we have quite a lot of games for the Wii now. And we do play it a fair bit, um, but but it is we we tend to use it. It's very participative. We all sit around and play, yes. and we all you know we like the games where you know you can the the rest of the family can enjoy watching the person play. So for instance, I'm one of the games we we just bought recently was the second Boom Blocks game, mm-hmm. which is is great because you know. It's fun for everyone else to sit and watch you play that. Is Blue you know, Box worth buying? Yeah, it's a fantastic game. Is it? I've heard good um, things, but I've never actually seen it being played in person. So, now is that something that you think Brooke would enjoy at six? I think so. I mean, Alexander enjoys playing it, uh, and he's 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 the same age. Um, you know, and it, and it is, it's it's 
it's one of those games, you know, it's simple to understand, it's not complicated, and, you know, it is kind of down to, there's a little bit of strategy involved, but, but the again, the advantage of you're playing it in a group is that you can help the kids with the strategy and say, why don't you try throwing it there and try and hit that? Um, so, you know, it, it helps get you over that frustration issue you can have sometimes when the younger kids are playing and they can't, they just can't do it, and, the, and then they lose interest. You know, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fun game. I, I also have the PS2 hooked up to it. And now the, now the nice thing about my PS3 is I've got, again, one of the very early first run PS3s, and it has a built-in PS2 in it. It's not emulated. It's an actual PS2 inside yeah. of it. And the new ones don't have that, which I think is no. horrible. But I've been able to play some of my older PS2 games on the PS3. And I always wanted to go back and actually finish some of the Grand Theft Auto games that I enjoyed so much. My yeah. problem was originally that I would start playing the storyline and I would get sidetracked and doing other stuff. And I just never got around to actually finishing the storyline. And then Brooke was getting to an age then that I couldn't really play a video game with her in the room because she'd trip over the cord. Yeah. So with the PS3, I didn't have to worry about that. Um, and I still couldn't play Grand Theft Auto in the same room with Brooke, of course. But still, the whole cord thing was always a big issue. So I actually finished um, all but San Andreas. I never finished that one. Um, so I was playing a lot of older PS2 games on my PS3, like Ratchet and Clank and stuff like that. But I have a lot more PS2 games than anything else. So mm-hmm. hooking up my old PS2 to this, Brooke is now playing some of my old PS2 games, like Bully, which sounds like it would not be a kid's game, but it kind of is. Um, yeah. It's it's just a fun game. She really enjoys it. She doesn't actually do any of the storylines. She just kind yeah. of runs around the school and jumps on a bike and rides to the town. And, you know, it, for her, that's fun. And I think it works well for that. So she enjoys it. So I'm getting more money's worth out of these older PS2 games than I thought I would at this point. And I can also jump on, like, eBay and buy PS2 games for just next to nothing. Stuff that she'll enjoy, like Scooby Doo or SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, yeah, you know, she'll she'll eat that up. Actually, that's a strategy. Uh, I mean, as you know, I, I got the Xbox fairly recently, so that's the strategy I've been adopting. Is is I not I've not been buying new release titles at all because you know I I take the view that I'm you know the, there's a fairly rich back back catalogue on the Xbox 360 of, of you know games I'm interested in playing um, that you know I can pick up secondhand really really cheaply. So I've got you know well, probably eight or nine games now, and I've not I've not spent a lot of money. Let's talk about video games for a second, as if we haven't for the last ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple games that I would suggest that's definitely worth buying, and some that's not worth buying. Uh, my wife actually got me Ghostbusters for the PS3. See that that interests me because I love the movie. Yeah, I don't. I, I love the movies. I'm not enjoying the game much. I no. could take it or leave it. Uh, I would suggest waiting for six months, and you're going to be able to pick that up probably new for 19.99. I mean, right. it's just not that good of a game. Uh, one that I really enjoyed, and I'm not a big racing fan per se when it comes to video games. There's a couple. I like the Midnight Club games; those are pretty good. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I didn't like the off-road stuff for the most part. They always kind of bored me. But I got a free one. It was called Pure, and it's an ATV game. Yeah. Exactly the kind of game that would just bore the crap out of me most of the time. Um, I, I'm just not into ATV off-road racing, and ugh, it just it didn't sound very interesting to me. But I got it for free, so I checked it out and played it. It's actually a really, really good game. 
Uh, it came out maybe a year ago, so I, I imagine it's just dirt cheap on eBay at this point. Yeah. But just called Pure, P-U-R-E. Right. And it's a really fun game. I mean, I really got into it. Um, and is it, is it quite realistic in terms of the modeling of the... Um Yes, but Modeling everything else is very unrealistic. You do the whole point is um, as you're building up your ATV to be faster and more powerful, and you get better tracks and stuff like that. The whole point of the game is kind of going crazy. You do these jumps and you do these tricks while you're in the air. All right. And when you start getting good at it, it is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I actually pulled this out for the first time in three well, longer than that, probably eight months yesterday, and played it. And I forgot how good that game is. I forgot how to control the guy. Number one, I was like, I could do tricks somehow. What did I do? <laughs> but once I figured it out and uh, started getting used to the tracks again, man, it's just a fun game. Cool. Uh, another one that I would suggest, and I know I've told you this before, maybe you've bought it, but that's Crackdown. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't got around to that yet. Have you bought it, though? No, I haven't I haven't got it. One of my favorite all-time games, man. It's just... it. It's combining The Incredible Hulk... Spider-Man in the Matrix. That's yeah. kind of how I, I look at it. I remember actually when I bought the console, um, they actually offered me offered they offered me two free games from their you know the um, the cheapest. This it was one of these uh, you know gameplay type secondhand stores. Yep. They actually offered me and the, the console I bought was a refurbished one by Microsoft. They actually offered me two of their cheapest games, and and I think Crackdown was, was one of the ones they offered me. But at, at the time, you know, I just didn't know what. Oh, I said, well, which ones are good? Of course, they said, oh, they're all good. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> I think the ones they get, they ended up giving me in the end. I, I've never, I've, I've, lo- I got Lost Planet and Dark, the Darkness, and I, I don't really like either of them particularly. No, those would be uh, probably the last two that I would get. Crackdown yeah. kind of snuck up on me. Um, I like open-world games where you can kind of go wherever and do whatever you want. And the yeah. whole premise of Crackdown is you're a cop. And there's these little green orbs hidden, and some not so hidden, around the city. And the more you get, the more powerful you get. So you'll be able to run faster. You can jack cars and stuff like that, like you can in Grand Theft Auto. <clears throat> but you don't want to, because your character literally can climb the buildings and jump from building to building. The more orbs you get, most of the orbs are up on top of the building, so you have to climb up there to get them. You get so powerful that driving is like secondary. You would never even think about driving because I can get from point A to point B by leaping across these buildings in two minutes, where in a car, even a very fast one, is going to take me ten minutes to get over there, so I'll just jump. It's easier. Plus, you can't shoot people in your car. (laughs) And the more right. orbs you get and the more things you collect, <clears throat> you can get better weapons. So you can get, like, lock-on missile launchers. Now, there is a storyline, but there's basically these three generals on each island, and you have to take them down. And there's lieutenants below them that you have to take them down, too. Now, obviously, you can go right for the bad guy, the, the tough guy, right at the beginning of the game if you want, but you're going to get your head, your head handed to you quickly. So you want to build up your strength by taking out the lieutenants and stuff like that as you go along. And uh, it's just so much fun. I mean, the the physics engine of this game is just, it's exhilarating when you're up high in a building and you jump from one building to the next. And while you're in midair, you shoot a a locked-on missile launcher at a cluster of bad guys sitting there and you just blow the crap out of them. And it's just so much fun. It's, you like it. Um, uh, next, yeah, next time I'm I'm down the store, I'll have to pick up a copy. Yep. Overlord was a game that I also enjoyed a lot. Now they just came out with an Overlord two, 
And uh, I probably will pick that up eventually, but I'll, I'll wait till that one gets cheap. But Overlord was a really fun game. Uh, you're a bad guy in it, but it's kind of cartoonish bad guy. Okay. Um, and you control these little minions. Now, your guy can literally go over there and attack stuff, too, but that's not what the game's about. It's really about you have these little minions that you send out, and you kind of control them where they go with your controller as well. And they will do your bidding. They'll attack stuff and, you know, break down a house. And um, it, it, you can have them kill sheep. And one okay. of them will jump on the sheep and riding around a little bit before it kills it. It's just hilarious. It's fun. Looking, looking at, I'm just looking at some of the graphics game. It kind of looks, it reminds me a bit of the uh, movie Gremlins. It, you is know what? Like that? That? Yes, it is kind of a bit like that. It's just a fun game. I really enjoyed Overlord. And the funny thing was, my wife, when I told her what the premise was, she just kind of rolled her eyes as she's wont to do. Yeah. Uh, but then when she started watching me, I mean, I would catch her laughing. Uh, one of yeah. the first things that you do is you have to bust up this house, and there's this pumpkin patch sitting there. And the uh, the little minions will, like, put pumpkins on their heads and run around. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just hilarious. I really liked it. That's a good one to get. Um, there was a game that came out maybe two years ago or so called Kane and Lynch, Dead Men. And every single preview I saw for the game looked fantastic. It looked exactly yeah. like the kind of game that I would really, really enjoy. It was one of the worst games I've ever played. Yeah. So avoid Kane and Lynch. And I would also say don't bother with Assassin's Creed. A lot of people seem to like it. I thought it was boring and kind of clunky. But. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I I read the reviews and it, and kind of the premise of the game just didn't really appeal to me at all. Um, so I've, I've not been planning to go with that one. No, uh, Gears no. of War is one that's definitely a must-have. Yeah, I bought I bought both Gears of War and Gears of War Two in a double pack. Um, the, again, it was dirt cheap, but um, you know, I've I've played the first probably. Uh, 40, 50 minutes of Gears of War and I, I thought it was amazing. Really, mm-hmm. really was. The first game I, I, to be honest with you was probably one of the games that kind of attracted me to buying an Xbox 360 because, you know, I know they did it on the PC and I could potentially could play it on my Mac but, you know, I, 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 I'm so done with playing games on PCs. It's so hard. I am too. I am too. I hate the mouse <laughs> you know. and using the keyboard. But with that being said, David, StarCraft. Two. Oh yeah, well, that, that's that's a, but that but that's you know StarCraft and that those sort of games really you know, they only work on a computer. That I don't I just don't see a real a real time strategy game working properly on a on a console because you need more controls than you get yep. on a controller. Works good on um, an iPhone, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you just you know you you like do the pinch and zoom to select your units and then tap where you want them to go and yeah, it actually works pretty good look into that so uh but yeah i mean gears of war i, I just thought was it's so cinematic in the way it, it plays even though you're fully controlling the character and, and yeah i really thought it was um a, you know really fun or amazing amazing game to play i haven't got the second one yet i don't know why because i enjoyed the first one so much but it's so gory that i can't play it around the kids yeah and you know by the time the kids are in bed and you know i've got stuff posted at my mac it's it's ten o'clock, ten thirty. I don't feel like getting into Gears of War at ten thirty at night. <laughs> no, you know it's like I'm going to go to bed within a half hour to an hour. I, I don't want to get my adrenaline pumping playing this for you know an hour and then have to go to bed. I don't. Well, not not only that, some of these games are really hard, and and you know when you've been up all day and you know it's late, mm-hmm. you're not really going to play at your best. You said there was a game that kind of 
you said you could play it on the PC, but you didn't. You never told us what game that was. Uh, well, no, Ge- Gears of War. There oh, was a was PC Gears of War. version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, I could have got the PC version and installed <clears> that on my Mac, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm just so. You know, you have to configure Windows right and deal with drivers and resolution, and then you have to tweak the game to make sure that it runs properly on your hardware. And I'm just so that's, that's really why I wanted to play them on the Xbox because it's just banging the disc and you know get on with the game. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Yep. You know, I w- did. Did you ever get into the Call of Duty games? Yeah, oh yeah, I love Call of Duty. You know, I, everyone asks me when you know I'm talking about video games. They go, "Do you ever play Call of Duty?" And I go, "Yeah, I played it occasionally." And uh, I just didn't consider myself a, like a big fan or anything, but I'm looking at my collection, and I've got the first Call of Duty on the PS2, and then I've got Call of Duty 3, or I'm sorry, i got Call of Duty 2, 3, 4, Modern Warfare, and I've even got uh, Call of Duty World at War. I've got all of those on the Xbox 360, mm-hmm. and i played through most of them. And it's yeah. like, why don't I say that I'm a big fan? I always buy these games when they come out. I, You know what? I must have... Because I, I, I was a big fan back in my PC days of the Medal of Honor games. Yeah. And then Call of Duty came out, and it just, you know, it wiped the floor with Medal of Honor. It, it was so much Although better. Although I have to say, though, the very first Medal of Honor game, I think it was the first, when you're in the boats and you're you're coming yeah, into Normandy. Yeah, the D-Day landings, yeah. yeah. That was one of the more, and this was PS2, remember, that was one of the more immersive video games I've ever been in. I mean, it was yeah. stuff is exploding, and your ears kind of ring from it in the video game. Oh, it, it, it was yeah, it was a it was a great uh, it it was a great a great version of that of that event. But then when Call of Duty did it, they did a lot better. I thought absolutely. But at that point, yeah. I was a little jaded because I had already been there and I've already done yeah. that. I was like, <laughs> okay, it looks a lot prettier and all that. Then, but still, I've done this and I've been there. I didn't yeah. need to do it again. But Call of Duty, you're right, though, are, are much better games. They, they took that away. But you know what winds me up about Call of Duty? Because I, I I've played the demo of um, Modern Warfare, and, uh, you know, it's a, it is a fantastic game. And, again, that's another one of those games where they've kind of got a really strong story and, and a, a way of putting you into the game so that you kind of invest in what you're doing. Yep. But the problem I have is, you know, going back to my strategy of buying these games cheap, because so many people play Call of Duty online, it's kept the price of the game up. Yep, absolutely. So it's just not being discounted at all. So it's still nearly what you would pay full price for uh, Modern Warfare, which is the one I would want to get because I've played all the others. Uh, have you played, so you played um, World played of War? Little, I haven't played World of War, no. Hey, no, Paint I, Guy. <laughs> I see Paint Guy just joined our chat room. We're actually broadcasting live this show on Ustream.tv. And uh, we'll try to do that more often. And I see Paint Guy just joined us in the room, so I wanted to give him a shout-out. Oh. Um, yeah, you know what? I like Modern Warfare, but what they're doing with the series is there's actually two different development houses that are doing it. Uh, one is doing the World War II games, and the other one is doing the modern games. So yep. we just had World at War came out. The next one coming out is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. So, and I kind of like that, <laughs> though. Yeah, it's Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 2. I think it's just Call of it's, Duty Modern yeah, Warfare 2. It's getting, it, it, is, it is a little bit confusing. Yep. But, you know, if the quality stays this good. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, really, how many games do I really need? Because I really like... Oh, what is that? Sorry, <laughs> I, I went to the Ustream to uh, try and get on the chat, and I got hit by some of these. Oh, uh, yeah. Echo, yeah. Um, I really liked uh, Call of Duty 3, and of course that's World War Two. 
And then I played Call of Duty 4, and then uh, World of War came out, so I got that just recently, actually. And I started playing it. And it's so similar to Call of Duty 3 that I'm like, you know what, if I didn't have any of these, I think I would rather have Call of Duty 3 because it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. And I'm not really getting anything out of... And I don't play these online, by the way. Occasionally I do, but I'm just not good enough to... I don't don't play it enough. Yeah. I mean, if if I'm playing like Grand Theft Auto, I'll mop the floor with almost anybody because I'm really good at that game. I play it enough. But yeah. Call of Duty, I'm, it, there's a commitment there that I'm yeah, just not ha- willing to invest. You have to be a real, you know, first-person shooter Twitch guy to to succeed at those games. And yep. if you if you've not put the hours in, then basically as soon as you as soon as you pop on that game world, somebody's going to take your head off, and that's it. The only game that I really got into online like that was uh, Halo Two when that right. first came out with the uh, Xbox. And I really was good at at Halo 2. And I could hold my own very easily online. And I thought I was going to be able to do that with Halo 3. But I didn't jump on Halo 3 and start playing it online quick enough. So by the time I actually jumped online and started playing it, everybody else was so far ahead of me that I would just get killed immediately. So I was like, yeah, it's not really worth it to me anymore. Yeah. But, I mean, the Halo games, you don't even have to say those are always good. Yeah, well, I, I picked up a copy of Halo 3, so that's... Uh, Have you played it yet? No, I, I've played... Again, I've played the first 20 minutes or so. Yeah, and the uh, Halo, I actually beat Halo 3 um, in about a week. I mean, I really got sucked into it. The music and the mood and the atmosphere of the Halo games are just fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that I like them, because did you know the original Halo was supposed to be a Mac game only? Well, yeah, because it came from Bungie Studios, didn't it, yep. who uh, did Marathon. Well, they did Marathon, and they also did, um, what was that game? I'm just drawing a blank now. Guy knows it, because we've talked about it on the MyMac podcast. Oh, I cannot think of it. They did another game that I really, really liked. It was squad-based kind of combat, and uh, I liked that. It was kind of medieval type of stuff, and that was good. So let's jump off of video games, because we actually got some feedback from our last episode of the Geekiest Show ever. We did. And uh, do you have it there? Yeah, just hold a second. Okay, I'll wait for you. <laughs> the audience ain't doing nothing. They're just, you know, sitting there waiting. Do, do, yeah. do, do. Here we go. So this was, uh, you remember we were, when we talked about Harry Potter, we, we mentioned very briefly, we, we commented on the on the whole religious angle and, and how certain religious groups had criticized the Harry Potter uh, universe for being, um, you know, promoting magic and suggesting that that was satanic potentially and, and anti-christian um and uh you know we we didn't really agree with that we don't think that you know in fact i, I do have to know that that uh, jk rowling is a christian and has actually built i mean the harry Potter story is a very christian theme it's all about you know death and redemption and that sort of they, thing they even have a christmas celebration yeah in the absolutely books and in the movie so yeah so uh, anyway, uh, we we got a comment from Samuel Powell, who is um, who is actually a a, a, a future past pastor. So he's, he's training to be a to be a, a church leader with uh, the Lutheran Church uh, in Missouri. So he said, "I'm a listener to my dot com podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever podcast, and all, above all things, an avid reader of Harry Potter. In fact, my wife started reading the books because of me, as did my mom and grandpa." 
I stood in line for books five and seven while taking an intensive summer Greek course in 2007. Five out of 13 students actually went and bought book seven. Excuse me, take a breath. And read it over the weekend instead of studying for Greek. All of us are going to be pastors. So he said, the danger in referring to Christians who think Harry Potter is satanic is that most Christians don't feel this way. Well, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. Um, but the, the, I, think, I think the point to make is that if somebody's up in the pulpit saying this, then, then kind of that is uh, being pushed out to their uh, congregation. Yep. Some do, I will admit, I myself have been accused of promoting occult activity when I simply mentioned while serving as a camp counsellor I like to read and I just read Harry Potter. That's all I said and I was accused of being satanic. With that said, a great many Christians love the books. Why? Because we see Christian themes throughout. Remember that J.K. Rowling is, was a member of the Anglican Church. She was influenced by both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, both noted Christians. In all of their books, and yes, I put her writings up beside theirs, you find overt Christian themes. I would put the, but, her up there too, by the way. I, I would, yeah, definitely. And, and, and certainly, you know, we were talking before we started recording about um, school stuff, and, and I went to a boarding school that was a, a Christian school, and I very clearly remember C.S. Lewis being uh, talked about regularly and, and quoted in, in, in a lot of services that, that we went to there. So he says, quick examples. When they're in the graveyard in Book 7, Harry sees a verse on his parents' tombstone, the last enemy to be defeated in is death. There is no citation, but I know it comes from 1 Corinthians 15.26. In that same scene, Hermione and her companions see the church. She, of course, knows what is going on because J.K. Rowling is Anglican. It's lessons and carols. Most of all, in the books, you see a theme of self-sacrifice and of redemption, which is the Christian message. Mm-hmm. So he then gives, he gives us some links about, um, uh, you know, uh, other, other folks who, who are... Um, who are uh, you know Christians and have a view on Harry Potter, so he, he's pretty he's pretty clear that um, you know that uh, it, it he doesn't think it's it's an anti-Christian message and he disagrees with anybody who does. Um, and Which he, is definitely he, good to know. Uh, well, absolutely, and and you know obviously I, I think as I say I think the problem is is that when you have any sort of leader and it doesn't matter whether they're a religious leader or a political leader or, um, you know, a community leader who is in a position to speak and people will listen and respect their opinion, will get up, who gets up and say something um, that perhaps they don't really understand. They're just, they've just taken a very surface view. And I think too often, particularly in today's, you know, soundbite society where it's all about 24 news and getting something, you know, said, said in front of the cameras when the press are bang for, for a comment, uh, it's very easy for people to get up and, and say, well, like, yeah, this appears to me to be, you know, this. And I think a lot of the comments uh, on Harry Potter are from people who haven't read it. And so, you know, it's just saying, well, if it's magic, it must be occult. And if it's occult, it must be satanic. And therefore it's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, compatible with, with a religious view of the world. And um, it's just unfortunate, I think, sometimes that people don't, study it in the same way that they study you know their more orthodox religious teachings um you know because i think everything has the right to be studied and commented on with uh, with knowledge rather than you know what it looks like from the front and i also think because of the popularity of harry potter and his world that christian leaders really had an opportunity to to possibly get more people to join their congregation especially younger people by embracing it rather than vilifying it. And I think it was a very um, poor choice on a lot of organized religions out there that 
that took a negative stance against the Harry Potter books, especially considering, number one, that they're not satanic. If you just read it, you would know. And number two, how popular it was uh, for younger people who may be out there looking for some answers that your organization may be able to provide them with. Absolutely. I mean, and even if I would think, even if you don't necessarily agree with um, with a particular medium that that young people engage with, if you can frame something that you want to get over to them in that context, it's going to make it more relevant to them. Yeah. So um, you know, if you if 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 you want to bring Shakespeare to people, sometimes one of the people the the way of doing that if if, if the if the audience you're trying to you're trying to impress with the with the material would never go and see a conventional Shakespeare play, you know, with the mid middle aged costumes and the and the old English. If you bring it up to date and modernise it, and put people in modern costumes and uh, you know make some of the language a bit more relevant or uh, that sort of thing, like like they did with West Side Story, which was an update of Romeo and Juliet, then you can you can bring that you can bring that knowledge and that um, you know that story to people in a way that they can engage with more readily than if it's just traditional. Yep, I agree. You know, we're ta- he was talking about that he holds uh, J.K. Rowling's up there with J.R.R. Tolkien. I would actually suggest, and I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast would probably disagree with me, I would even suggest she's actually a better writer than Tolkien. If you go back and read the, yeah. the Lord of the Rings series, there's a lot of crap that never goes anywhere about characters you don't even remotely care about. Uh, whereas with the Potter series, you cared about these people. I mean, yeah. they they were real to you. I, I had much more um, feeling for wanting Harry to succeed and not to die in the series than I ever did of Frodo Baggins. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I it was a real character to me, and it's not because it's set in modern times because most of the books are not. I mean, they are, but they're not. They're in this world of magic. Yeah, um, but. I think she was a much better writer. I mean, yeah, a lot of people may not agree with that, but you know, there you go. I do. I, I think Tolkien had different objectives when he was writing the books than just just presenting a good story. No, I, you know, I, he, I know what some of those are. He actually wanted to kind of create a mythology of England's past that didn't exist. Exactly, and also as well, he was you know he was a linguist, so he was doing a lot of playing around with languages. All the um, you know the the languages of the dwarves and the elves and everything that are in the books, are, he actually created the entire language. I mean, you know, people think that the guys who speak real Klingon were the first guys to do that, but Tolkien was doing it fifty years before. Um, and so, yeah, his his objectives, what he was, he was a he was an academic, and so he develop those stories from an acad- academic perspective and uh, you know sometimes his objectives were, were not necessarily compatible with a rip-roaring read I mean I, I I was exposed to Tolkien my father used to read The Hobbit to us when we were very small um, and we really loved that story and, and I'd never read The Lord of the Rings I, I knew the story of The Hobbit much better than The Lord of the Rings and the first time I read The Lord of the Rings I gave up on it after about um, you know, I got halfway through the first book, and I just thought I can't hack this anymore. And it, it was only till I was a, and now I, I was an avid reader when I was growing up, and I was must have been about eleven or twelve when I when I first tackled that, and I just couldn't could not 
it just didn't it didn't hold me it didn't engage me at all and it was only when i was about 16 or 17 that i kind of picked it up again and and read it through again and even then i didn't get as much out of it as i did i started rereading it again when the first film film came out um and that's when i really got the most out of it i think in uh, 1977 uh my grandfather was still alive my mother's father and uh, in fact my middle name is from him earl and he wasn't a very social person, which is strange when you consider he had, you know, seven kids altogether. And I, re- I have very vivid memories of my grandfather sitting in this chair reading. And he had basically a library in his basement. And all he ever read was science fiction. That was his thing. Don't bother grandpa. Grandpa's reading. So everyone kind oh. of... And he always seemed very stern to me. I, I grew up listening to these horror stories my mother would tell me about how her and her siblings would just get the beating of a lifetime when they did something wrong. So he's a very imposing, scary figure to me growing up. And in 1977, I remember walking up uh, to Alexander Drugstore with my mother and buying comic books for the first time. And that's when I got into comic books. It was also the summer of Star Wars. So 1977 was a pretty important year for me in my life. So I'm into comic books um, Star Wars comes out. I'm really big into science fiction now. A couple years go by. It's 1979. I'm nine years old. And we're at my grandmother and grandfather's house. I don't remember if it's for a holiday or what. But I just remember going up there. And I, I decided I was going to talk to my grandfather because I was sitting right next to him. And I said, uh, I'm a reader now too, Grandpa. And he says, well, you are. What are you reading? So I tell him about my comic books. Yeah. And while well, I'm reading, you know, this and the Hulk and Thor and the Avengers and Spider-Man and, and he starts asking me questions about the characters. Well, why does he do that? And, uh, it was really interesting that he was showing an interest in, in the subject, even though, you know, I was nine years old. He, it's, he was humoring me, obviously. Yeah. And he says, so you like to read? And I said, yeah. And he goes, so if I gave you some books, would you read them? And I said, sure. So he goes down in the basement, comes back up, and he hands me three books. And it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh-huh. And he says, well, these might be a little bit too grown up for you, Tim, but um, I'll let you keep these books, which was a big deal to me. My grandfather's actually yeah. giving me these books that he read himself. I'll let you keep these books if you promise me you will read them. And uh, I want you to come back when you're done with the first book, and we're going to talk about it. And so that's why I read that entire trilogy when I was nine years old. Oh. Some of it obviously was over my head. But it wasn't about the story so much as... And I enjoyed them, don't get me wrong. It, it wasn't so much the stories themselves, but it was the fact that I'm getting this attention from this very imposing figure who I'm named after, my grandfather. Yeah. And, uh, it it was, it was magic to me. And these were the second time that these books had been published, uh, the second printings. So Uh these were, they were worth something and I got to keep them. And I remember going up there and talking to him, um, about the books. And the funny thing was when I actually finally got to sit down with him, like two months later, I had read all three books by that point. So, you know, we spent hours talking about the books, and it really impressed my mom. I remember that. Yeah. And that's how I got into Lord of the Rings, because of my grandfather. 
And he, he showed me interest when my mom and dad really, they weren't interested in the comic books I was reading. Um, they weren't opposed to it, but they were like, well, it's comic books. I don't really care. And at least he's reading. <laughs> yeah. So, but so comic books led me to Lord of the Rings, but they only led me there because of my grandfather. So I just wanted to share that. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, you know, we did have a subject that we haven't really even touched on yet, and we're 50 minutes no. into the podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> it's 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 kind of a laid-back podcast. Guy Cyril and I did the same thing. We were talking about toys uh, a yeah. couple months ago. And we mentioned at the beginning of the show, before we actually started recording, actually, that this is a geeky show ever number 12, which means we've been doing this show, David, for six months. Six months? It's kind of flown by, really. It has. It has. Um I haven't listened to every episode of this. I mean, I'm on each episode, so I don't really have to go back and listen to it. But what I like about the show is the fact that I can go back now and listen to these at any time I want. And they're very yeah. timeless. It doesn't matter when you listen to this. No. And uh, it's just a snippet of what we think is kind of hot and cool and whatever kind of catches our opinion at the well, time. Well, yes, it's whatever's bubbling around the head. And it's not always about Max like the other show is. <laughs> no. I think it's tiring sometimes. Yeah. It's, um, it's nice to talk about different things. Uh, here, I'm going to go way off subject now. This has nothing to do with geekiest anything. Um, my uh, light in the dining room went bad on me. And uh, I had just replaced this entire... It was a fluorescent light system. Uh-huh. And I had just replaced the damn thing. So it stopped working in. So I figured it's the light switch at this point. So I switched the light switch. And that didn't help. So I'm like, you know what? This Something is goofy. So I decided to go up there and uh, test what's going on. So I killed the power because we've got the the breaker box in the basement, and one of them is listed as dining room. Mm-hmm. Now, what I didn't notice was we actually have two different circuits going to the dining room. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I'm messing around with the wires up there by the actual light, and I'm thinking, well, maybe they're just, you know, they're not connected very well. So I twist one up really good, and it feels good, and I'm twisting the other one, and that one feels good, too. And I decided to give both of them one more twist. So I grabbed both wires at the same time. Woo! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so yesterday uh-huh. I got electrocuted. <laughs> now, did you develop superpowers afterwards? I did, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll show you later. I could teleport now. It's, it's interesting that because, you know, one of the things that um, one of the big differences I found from going from uh, the U.S. from the U.K., uh, to the state, so I mean, my, we spent a lot of time in Florida when I was growing up. We had a house out there. It was obviously the difference in voltage, and yeah. we could never really understand when we were kids why, you know, why are the plugs different, and you know, why is the why can't we just bring anything we've got over here in in, in England and plug it in over there without voltage converters and all that sort of thing? I I've always assumed that the reason you have 110 volts rather than 240, which is what we have here, is because it's safer. Uh, but I, I don't know, but if I had your voltage system, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Well, I, I've I've had a couple of shocks from... Uh, it's actually the amps volt, that get you, it's not the volts. Yeah, I know. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had a couple of shocks from 240, and it's not very funny. It, One time I, uh, I had a, um, you know, kind of those power bricks... That we all have nowadays sure. for every single thing. I had one of those that was actually um, it, it had uh, four or five different connectors on the end, so you could power different 
different things you know you could use it on different devices they're all different shapes and sizes and i used to use this to to power my uh, walkman this one was at boarding school and um it stopped working one day and i took it down to the computer lab and i knew the electronics technician down there i didn't know an awful lot about electronics but i said i went in there i said look can you help me fix this because it stopped working and so he he opened it up and it didn't have any screws on it. It had kind of had a, a like a resin bolt that okay, was holding sure. thing together. Yeah. So we broke that off. We opened it up and he said, "Oh, there's a thermal fuse in here. It's probably overheated and that's what's um, gone." He says, "But I have some more. We'll just desolder it and and uh, and change it." And we did, and it started working fine. I took it back to my study <laughs> and I plugged it into the wall. But of course, the the back of the uh, of the transformer was still loose because you know I hadn't taped it on or anything. So I plugged it in the wall, plugged it into my Walkman, started the Walkman working. I thought, great, went to unplug it, pulled it, and I I, I don't know if you've ever seen um, English plugs, but they're quite they're much bigger than yours. Yes. Yeah, and um, and because there's three big prongs that go into the socket, you, you need a fair amount of force to pull that out. Um, and you can't really pull on the you couldn't ever you couldn't ever really pull on the cable to pull it out. You always have to grab grab the plug and pull it out. So I grabbed this thing by both sides and pull on it. And of course, the case comes off my hand. Without turning the power off and without thinking, I immediately go and put my hand on it and grab the grab it by both sides of the, of the big <laughs> transformer uh, and go wow. <laughs> and literally my hand was kind of kicked off this thing by the muscular reaction and, yeah. and flew right back and it was my right hand <laughs> and literally for about six hours i could not write i could not could barely move the hand it was just tingling and and you know well my and, hands were a little numb yesterday the funny thing was after i did that julie was sitting right on the other side and she goes because I, I i made some noise like <laughs> or something yeah. like that and she goes are you all right and i went I think these. I think this is still a hot line. So I grab my. I've got a little uh, cheap tester. It's just uh, two prongs and a light, and you touch each end, and if the light comes on, you've got power. And so I stuck yeah. it up there, and it literally burnt one of the leads right off because it went <laughs> pow. And Julie goes ah, <laughs> sparks went everywhere, and that looked a lot worse than what I had just done earlier. But the second time, you know, it didn't do anything to me. The first time didn't look like anything, but I got a good jolt. But my left hand was like numb. It was kind of weird. But yeah, yeah it's just one of those things that I think we we've all kind of experimented with uh, electricity. I remember I had an old record player, and it was one of these record players that you you pull down on it and it opens up as a record player, but the speakers stay where they are. Kind of hard to explain, but um, you would know it if you saw it. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just a big box and it, it laid down if that makes sense. Uh-huh. And uh, something had happened, and someone, one of my friends was over the house, and he moved it, but he didn't unplug it first, and it ripped the wires right out. But it also pulled it out of the wall far enough so there was no juice going through it. So here we are, we're all like 12 years old, and we've got this cord now, a cable, with a plug on one end and bare wires on the other. And uh, we're all basically daring each other to, you plug it in, see what happens. No, you do it, you do it, you do it. And so a friend of mine named Charlie Danick held the end of it, not the bare wires, but the end of it. And the wires were very, very close together. A couple strands must have been touching. While well, I plugged it into the wall. And uh, I remember it blew the fuse in the house, so all the lights went out. But it made this huge pop sound. And Charlie literally got thrown back about four feet. And uh, I just remember plugging it in and 
bam, and the lights go all out in the whole house. <laughs> My mother going, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, but is it, isn't it strange that, I mean, we, we now live in a society where, you know, electronics and, and devices like these have become so cheap that, you know, our kids will probably never ever crack anything open to try and fix it if it breaks. No, absolutely not. They They'll will just, just buy a new one. toss it and buy a new one. It's kind of sad in a way because, you know, they, 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 trying to do these things and trying to repair things that you love and that are broken and that sort of thing is, is kind of part of growing up. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and not, not knowing how, not knowing how to, what's possible is, is kind of sad really. I mean, my, my six year old is always breaking things and bringing them to me saying, can you fix this? And, and, you know, in his world, I could, I can fix, can fix anything. everything. Yes, I'm there. But in too. fact, most of these things I can't. You know, yep. he doesn't know that half the time I, I say I'm going to fix it, I just go out and buy him another one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, Daddy will take a look at it. No problem. <laughs> no, you're right. My dad worked. Uh, in, in fact, he still works at an auto parts supply store. Uh, so if you had something go wrong with your car and you need a new part, he's the guy to go to. And um, he used to bring home like old starters and alternators and stuff. Just for me to take apart, yeah. you know, he would want to. He wanted me to get comfortable taking things apart and putting them back together, or taking them apart to figure out why they did what they did. And uh, I distinctly remember just the smell of old motor oil and grease on my hands after playing with a starter for hours and hours and hours, trying to figure out how to crack this thing open to take a look inside. You know, old alternators that I would take apart. And then pull all the wire out of it and realizing I've got like a mile of, of copper wire here. <laughs> How did they get all of this wire inside this little thing here wrapped so tight? Um, but I can't imagine doing that myself anymore, giving my kids something and saying, here, take this apart. Maybe I should. Maybe that's something that we should do. Yeah, the, the, the problem is, is that, you know, in, in, in uh, the way we live now, I mean, it's it's all of that stuff needs time and most of us haven't got the time to sit down and well we live in also a disposable society david when when you know 15 years ago if our hard drive started going bad we would do everything we could to rescue it because that 20 megabyte hard drive cost you know a thousand dollars today a one terabyte drive goes bad we just throw it away and spend 80 bucks and get a new one yeah so i mean i i don't know if it's a better society we live in and that, you know, these things do cost v- relatively uh, small amounts of money. But by the same token, you know, how many people know how to fix an iPod when it goes bad? Not a yeah. lot of people. I mean, how many people's iPod has gone bad when it's just the battery finally got wore out? So they just go out and buy a new iPod. Yeah. Because they just keep, they don't know how to open this iPod up and change a battery. And in fact, you know, as you say, most a uh, lot of devices nowadays they're just not designed to be, I mean, user serviceable. Just trying to get an iPod open is a is a challenge in itself. They're not really you know, things used to be able to you used to be able to unscrew them and get the back off, and now you just can't do that. No, it's the you know. big penification of the world. Yeah, I just made that up. <laughs> uh, well, you know, because big pens when they're done, they're done. You throw them away. That's kind That's of right, what. Yeah. Our computers are our cars for a lot of people. Um, cars are relatively inexpensive compared to what they would be um, if you know dollar was worth the same or the pound was worth the same. 
you spent a lot more money for a car back in the 1950s and 60s than you do nowadays. If you look yeah. at the price, no, it doesn't look, you know, it's wow, you could buy a whole new car for $3,000. Well, if you put in inflation and blah, 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 you know, that would have been a thirty thirty $35,000 car. Today, we could buy a car for, you know, a brand new one for eighty nine ninety five. But it's disposable. After five years, you don't keep fixing that car. You get rid of it and get a new one. Yeah. You know, it's it's not buying a car. It's leasing a car. Um, yeah. And I don't know but, if that's good or bad. Well, it, it, whether it's good or bad, it, it, I don't think ultimately, long term, it's going to be sustainable. I don't because, think so either. You know, we are we are effectively we have all these uh, you know fairly cheap um, devices and and you know technical gadgets and and the clothes we wear and the food we eat and everything is all subsidised by the fact that it's produced halfway around the world by people who are prepared to pay work for much less pay than than we're prepared to uh, put up with. Um, and you know, but all of those people, as their economies grow, they're going to want to have the same sort of lifestyle. And eventually, there'll be nobody left who's prepared to build stuff for cheap. Martians. <laughs> Speaking of Martians, have you Martians seen the or robots? Yeah, or robots. Have you seen the uh, previews for District Eight? Uh, no, I haven't. But I've heard some buzz about it. It looks really, really good. That's all I'm saying. It looks fantastic. So, is this about aliens? Yes. Um, there's one scene in the in the preview where the alien says, and they're not speaking English, so you got to read it. But it says, "Why won't you let us leave?" And I thought, "Wow, what a great concept for an alien type of movie." They're here. They've been here for 28 years. We won't let them leave. You know, they've been segregated. Um, I think they said they're in uh, Johannesburg. Yeah, I think that's where they are. Yeah, um, so it's a great District, concept. No, District Nine is District called, Nine. Like, yeah, yeah, I knew something like that. Okay, yeah, it, I mean, it, I tell you what, it does remind me of. It's a variation of the plot of Alien Nation, which was a great movie. It was okay. You ever see that? I, I, th- but I, the execution was okay, but I thought the concept of, oh, you know, yeah, an alien alien race coming and and ended up being, you know, and just another race living with us was was I thought was was really good. Yep. Um, and and this this kind of takes that to the next next level where they they effectively become uh, become slaves. Is that kind of the, the I don't idea? Know. I don't think they're slaves. Yeah. I just think they're segregated. We won't let them leave right. because we haven't figured out their technology yet, and we want it for ourselves. You know, I, the whole aliens coming to to the world, to Earth, has been around for as long as science fiction has been written. And there's always a lot of people that say, you know, if this ever happened, it would basically be the end of the world. Um, there's there's no place in religious text for other world visitors. So some people, there's no way they could philosophically accept this. It would be such a radical change that they'd lose their mind. Uh, they'd be rioting in the street, blah, 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 blah. You know what? I don't think so. I think that no. as as a hum, as the human race has evolved over the, you know the last million years, um, I think we're at a point in our history now that if aliens actually did descend upon the Earth and they weren't invaders per se, I think we'd handle it pretty well now. I think that we would accept it, and within five years we would just it would just be normal for us. Yeah, well, we've been conditioned by you know thirty, forty years of. Of of cultural 
um, acceptance of, of the concept. I mean, you know, real. In fact, probably what would happen if the aliens showed up is we'd find that they were fairly boring compared to what our movies probably. And, and science fiction books and comics have told us it, they're going to be like. You know, be like, what you mean you don't have? Okay, so you can travel through space, but you don't have any other. Uh, you know. Uh, Special technologies or... <laughs> or or superpowers or you know you can't teleport from place to place at will you can't read our minds. They'd be like, where did you guys get all these weird concepts yeah. from? <laughs> exactly. Well, stuff yeah. that we'll get Toronto eventing eventually, but we just haven't got there yet. Um, I you know I think it would be like a religious experience for myself. I mean, it would. I I really do hope. I know it's kind of going weird now. Uh, I really do hope there are alien civilizations out there, just so we know we're not alone in this universe. Um, there's a scene at the end of uh, the Jodie Foster contact movie. Yeah, it'd be, my view is actually is probably a lot, a lot harder to travel through space than we kind of assume it is. Oh, absolutely. It's probably, you know, the faster the light travel that that's uh, a staple of every single science fiction story, you know, space story that's ever been written virtually is probably impossible. And so the best you're ever going to co- come up with realistically is, you know, fairly local travel over, you know, fairly short distances, you know, like four, five, maybe ten light years. I don't think and, the starships that we end up taking... Like no, the inter- no. It's, I think it, it's I think all it'll be is yeah. Uh, well, not even that. I think probably all it'll ever come to is we'll be we'll know they're there and we'll know something about them. We'll be able to communicate fairly difficultly, but we won't actually be able to ever visit each other. That could be. But I like the concept it, in that movie that I was talking about, Contact, where her dad, who's not really her dad, says, "You know, you you your species feels so alone." And yeah. that always uh, that always touched me because that is how I view the human race. That we're we're so self centered about everything we do, and we're so worried about the differences between our own species. You know, be it political, religion, race, whatever. But yet, I think it all comes down to that we feel like we're alone in this universe. So we're always looking for something else. And if we actually came in contact with an, a, another alien species, I think it would probably be for the best. I don't think the worst would happen. I think the best would happen. I think it would give a lot of hope to a lot of people that there yeah. is something else more to this existence than just this one little planet that we're on. I, I, contact was a great story, but I thought the payoff was terrible. Oh, I did too. Absolutely. I mean, it really, like, you know, you blew it. It blew it the last ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, and the book uh, is and much even, better. The book is much better, but even even there, it, it was kind of like he, he Sagan had come up with this great concept, but he didn't know how to finish it. Well, I think that was a lack of imagination on his part more than anything. Um, yeah. You know what happens after we've made contact? I don't think he had an answer for that. No. I don't think his scientific mind, because that's really what he was as a scientist. Um was prepared to answer that question. Uh, his whole philosophy was based around the search and, yeah. and actually finding it, but nothing afterwards. And that's what was disappointing to me, but I don't want the star Trek ending either. I don't want us to, at the end of that movie, I didn't want us to join some kind of a galactic civilization. That's explorers. No. Um, I mean, that would be great, but I, I don't think it's realistic. But I don't know. You're right, though. The payoff of that movie was just kind of like, ugh. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, here's the thing. We've been uh, re- talking now for an hour and ten minutes. We probably should wrap up this show. Uh, I still have to edit this and get it posted. And I also have to do the MyMac.com podcast this week. And uh, I think people are going to enjoy the, the MyMac show this week. Yeah, it was really good. It was a uh, listener invite, which... yeah. Anybody listen to this, I really do hope that you're listening to the MyMac podcast as well. Uh, this week's show, uh, number 251, we had Pastor Matt Larson. Kind of a whole religious thing this week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had an interesting viewpoint on, on really how technology, more specifically Max, you know, help help him to do his work. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's a, it's a show about, he talks about his work and, and you know how he delivers it rather than the content itself so it's not it's not something that might put you off if you're not particularly religious because it's just kind of an an interesting take about you know how the difficulties of you know getting a message out to a large number of people on a on a you know on a professionally and yet on a budget yep and i think that's Learning about the different ways people are using their Macs and the people who are using them, that's what the My Mac Podcast Listener Invite is all about. And uh, we still have some openings coming up. The next one we're booking is going to be in November. So if you're interested in getting on that show, simply send an email to feedback at mymac.com. If you're interested in getting on this show, I don't know. You think that's something that we could open up on this show eventually, David? I think so. Um, we probably need to structure the show a little bit more. Yeah, well, this week, you know, without Guy being here and a certain... Well, we kind of did have a topic, but we just kind of derailed almost immediately and kind of ventured into uh, untested waters. But that's okay. That, I, I think it's fun to do right. that. Yeah. I, th- I think that, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, as, as normal with the show, the, the topic we chose was not something that's particularly tied to this particular moment. So we can talk about it another time. Absolutely. Oh, before we wrap... Uh, have you seen the new Terminator movie? No, I deliberately avoided it because, um, well, <laughs> it kind of goes back to the, the, the topic. You know, I am so, um, I'm pretty tired with sequels. And, I, I uh, don't really think this know, is partic- a sequel. Well, it's an attempt to reboot the franchise, but it's just not, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd heard it hadn't been done particularly well. Uh, and so I decided that, that I had better things to do. I, I watched it. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to blow it for you because I'm sure you'll eventually watch it. Um, some of the concepts are like, that's really cool. Um, some of it's just like, ugh, Marines in space kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. Some of the actual Terminator robots that they show, um, out Transformers, Transformers. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool, and. Um, there's something happens in the last 20 minutes of the movie that makes me go, holy crap, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Which I, all I'll say is it ties it in with uh, uh, the mythology of, of Terminator. And it really worked well in the movie, even though it didn't look exactly the way it should have. It was still something that when you see, you're just like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so there's it's got uh, that yeah, going I'll, for it. I'll, maybe I'll catch it when it's up when it's on um, on iTunes. Yep, won't be long now. Speaking of, won't be long. This is the end of Geeky Show Ever number twelve. We'll be back again in two weeks. No idea what the subject will be. If you have any ideas, you want us to talk about something in particular, feedback at mymac.com. Let us know. Um, let us know also what you think about having special guests on the show. 
listeners, maybe interviewees. Maybe that's something that we could start looking at doing. Um, I think we've got enough listeners on the show now, where, David, where we could actually start maybe interviewing some, maybe not actors, but maybe some directors. Um, yeah. Maybe some musicians, stuff like that. I think that would be pretty cool. Maybe some people who produce video games. Uh, if yeah, it's that'd be good. culture, you know, comic book artists. We actually had a comic book writer on the MyMac podcast a number of years ago, Dwayne McDuffie, uh, who's currently writing Justice League of America. So, cool. um, at the time, he was doing Fantastic Four. So, I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff that we could start bringing to the geekiest show ever. And uh, we'd really like some feedback from you guys on the subjects that we talked about today, on subjects that you guys think we should talk about, or stuff you think we need to avoid in the future. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of those, I think. But uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. David, you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It's David B. Cohen. And I am uh, twitter.com slash mymac. And uh, so for David, I'm Tim. We're out of here.